actions and attitudes compared to everyone else in the story. Okay? See what you notice. The sailors, the Ninevites, even God compared Jonah's actions to them. And then I also want you to ask yourself, who, what's this story about? Who is the protagonist and who's the antagonist here? Who's the hero and who is saved? What is this story trying to teach us? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up and all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went down to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us. So that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to, make, do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not. For the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you 
What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah on a dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued Nineveh. in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, may, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life away, for it is better for me to die. Than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give it shade, to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Did you notice the contrast between Jonah and the rest of the characters in the story. The runaway believer. Kind of a paradox, kind of an oxymoron. The disobedient believer. Could you pinpoint the hero and the villain, the protagonist, the antagonist, and the one who is saved? Hopefully we'll be able to, by the end of... uh, the next few minutes. 
I want to do a quick comparison because I think we're, we're meant to see the irony between the sailors and Jonah. And it's interesting, totally, complete role reversal. Sailors are some of the worst morally corrupt people there are. I mean, they are the gold standard for foul language, right? You curse like a sailor, right? Morally depraved sailors are the epitome of immorality. But in the midst of the storm, the sailors are crying out to their gods. No foul language there. They're they're praying to their gods. And in the middle of this, Jonah is disobeying God. He's running away from God. The sailors urge Jonah to wake up and to pray. So here's the prophet is asleep. And the sailor captain is preaching to the prophet that he needs to pray. You see, you see the... Shouldn't that be the other way around? Shouldn't the prophet be telling the sailors to pray? But no, the captain has to tell Jonah to pray because he's asleep below deck. And I'm not real sure exactly how to interpret that, whether he had such a peace and calm trust in the Lord that he was able to sleep through this storm or if he was totally indifferent. But either way, he's at least indifferent toward the plight of the sailors and how distraught they were. Totally disre- total disregard for them. So the sailors, they cast lots to see who's causing this. Now think about the assumption you have to make to cast a lot. You have to assume that there's some kind of deity that, will con- that has the power to control this lot and has the knowledge of who who's, is causing this. And they do that and they trust the lot will work, right? So here these sailors, again... They have faith that the gods, a god, will answer them. Meanwhile, Jonah sits back and watches to see who the lot's going to fall on. Is that, like, I wonder, oh, yep, yep, yeah, that's me. How indifferent do you have to be to wait to see what happens? Then the... The sailors start looking for knowledge. They're asking. They're seeking information. They interview Jonah. Tell us more. We, we've got to do something here. We want to know more. If we have more knowledge about the situation, maybe we can appease the gods. Jonah then claims that he worships God. I'm a Hebrew and I worship God. Again, that's everybody else seems to be worshiping God, but Jonah in this moment. Then the prophet, the preacher, makes a recommendation that the sailors should murder him. That doesn't sound like a man of God preaching and saying, hey, you should murder me. Right? You, see, you see the irony there? Maybe, maybe I'm making too much of this. But then the sailors, they try not to murder him. They're like, ah, that sounds like a bad idea. The sailors are telling the prophet, ah, that's a bad idea. They recognize that. And then the prophet promises salvation if you just murder me. And the sailors turn around and they pray for forgiveness up front before they do this terrible thing. They know it's terrible. 
Then once they do throw Jonah overboard and the sea is calm, they offer sacrifices and praise God for that. And finally, under the waves, Jonah says his prayer. So what what am I supposed to take from this? You know, I thought Jonah was the hero or at least the guy we learned the lesson from, right? Well, as he comes back up, I want to talk about Jonah's sermon. And I know I'm rushing through this, but um, I just want to point, uh, point out a couple things before we get to some lessons. First, God calls Jonah again in chapter 3. Um, and he gives him this message. His message is, his sermon is, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. What a sermon. I don't know if that's all that he said or if that's just a synopsis. But if that's all, we, all he said, then Tommy, I think we might be overthinking it a little bit, right? Um, but I am, I, it does occur to me that in, the new, in, the, in Acts, when the apostles are going about teaching, they're teaching that there's another king, Jesus. It's that simple. Now there's a lot that, that stems from that, but that's the gospel message. Right? Maybe we are overthinking it, but I'll tell you what, it worked. It worked. The Ninevites, and for all of you in the Romans class, this is for you. Verse 5 says, the Ninevites believed God. And it was counted as righteousness. It doesn't say that in the text. But we know that it was because God relented. They, they fast, they, uh, they, they decreed a fast, they put on sackcloth, they gave up their evil ways and their violence, verse 8, and God relented. So, what, what, is, what is this about? And honestly, if, it, if the story ended there, I would feel a lot more comfortable with studying Jonah But it's the next chapter that always gets me, right? You would have thought he learned his lesson like, oh, okay. But here's the thing. Jonah wasn't afraid of failure. Jonah was afraid of success, right? Look at chapter four. But but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry and he prayed and he said, isn't this what I said? And we find out. Jonah's true motivation at the beginning. We finally see what was motivating Jonah to run away. And that is, isn't this what I said when I was at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life for it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah has just been hit with a train. What is it? What was it? What is going on in Jonah's heart? I think this is pretty serious. And I want to make a few points based on this idea that I really want. I want to, uh, I want to think soberly about this. Okay? Jonah was afraid... Of success, He was afraid that these people might repent. 
And he wanted those dirty Ninevites completely destroyed. Israel would not be safe as long as those wicked pagans are around. So the reason Jonah got up and ran from God is because he didn't want to do anything nice to those evil Gentiles. Now that's pretty serious. The root of Jonah's heart attitude is self-righteousness. And I tell you what, this is the root. This is the heart attitude that every one of us has to guard against. I want you to notice that. We have to constantly battle against this because it is always getting at us. The scary thing is, the more righteous we see ourselves, the more danger we are at self-righteousness. Right? I'm, I'm starting to conclude that the book of Romans, this is what Paul's message is that he's trying to get across. That we as humans, what we do is we go about trying to patch together a righteousness of our own because we have to have something in this life that makes us feel superior to somebody somehow. We've got to have something to make us feel better about ourselves or we just can't live with ourselves. And the more people we feel better than, the better we feel about ourselves. Right? That's what self-righteousness is. What about, what was Jonah's self-righteousness? In a word, Jonah's self-righteous manifestation was racism, right? Like he, I'm a Hebrew, I worship God, and I'm not going, I don't want to go to those Ninevites, right? His identity as an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, does this sound familiar from Romans? That's what made him better than others, specifically the Ninevites, of course. He was better than them because of those things. And you know what? That's a pretty good way to... That's a pretty efficient way of feeling good about yourself. Because think about it. Even if you're not a particularly good person, like you're not particularly important in and of yourself, or or you haven't accomplished a lot, you can overcome those deficiencies by just using your ethnicity and your nationality to look down your nose at somebody else that's not like you. And that's Jonah's self-righteousness, but that's not the only way to be self-righteous. Maybe it's, you can flip that, right? If you're appalled by the horror of racism and bigotry, you can turn your enlightened sense of justice to mock and scorn the people that you disagree with, right? You can be appalled and you can be self-righteous because you would never be so racist. So I'm better than you. You can look down your nose at all those bigots and anyone that you disagree with. And you can scorn and mock the people for scorning and mocking you. Right? Doesn't that sound familiar in our culture? We're just in a scorning battle. I'm going to scorn you, you're going to scorn me, and we're going to feel good about ourselves and the way we scorn each other. Another way that perhaps Jonah was self-righteous, and I want you to pay attention to this one because I think this is especially dangerous for us. Jonah was self-righteous in his religion. 
Do you see that? When he, his identity is, I, I'm a Hebrew nationality, and I worship God, my religion. Right? Those who are religious and moral can look down their nose at all the people who are immoral and unreligious. You know, they don't go to church as often as I do, and they don't study the Bible as much as I do. They don't pray or uh, they don't teach as much as I do. And because of that, I mean, you've got to admit, I'm, I'm a little bit better than they are. Or what about this? What if you've had a messed up and hurting life? You can look down your nose at all these insensitive people who don't know how, ha- how bad that you've had it. And if you've suffered a lot, you can look down your nose at all the people who haven't had it that bad. They've had it easy, and that makes you feel better than them. Or you can flip that, right? Those people over there, they're suffering. They obviously have done something wrong in their life. And that's why I feel better than them. I I can look at them and know I've got a better life than they do. Or if you're educated, you can look down your nose at people who aren't as educated as you and take pride in your academic accomplishments. Look look at everything that I've done. Or if you're not educated, you can look down your nose at those elite snobs who think they're all that and who are out of touch with reality. And really that's what it comes down to. We all look down our nose at people who look down their nose at people. Do you see the irony there? The bottom line is that just like Jonah, we all try and find some way to make ourselves feel better about where we are and justify ourselves before God instead of being made right through Jesus. And that's why Jonah ran away in the first place. There was no way he was going to let God treat these wicked Assyrians with grace and compassion. That would be wrong. To do so would be admitting he wasn't much better than them. Now, let me call you out on something. As I read through those things, you were probably thinking, you know what, I know somebody who thinks they're better than everybody else. That sounds like somebody I know. And now, you're feeling a little bit better than them, aren't you? Let me ask you this. Which one were you? Which one of those things were you? What do you do in your head to make make yourself feel better than the next person? The point is, Jonah wasn't ready to preach grace and mercy because he was a stranger to it himself. He didn't need grace and mercy. He was a Hebrew and he worshiped God. I don't need your mercy and grace. So how can he go preach it? He couldn't. God had to show him mercy and grace. And when he was running, God was chasing him. And that's really the most simplistic way to view sin and grace is running from God and him chasing after us, trying to rescue us from our self-destructive behavior. Right? So the true perspective here um, is God's perspective. So let's talk about that. What should Jonah be thinking? Before God, 
The difference between Jonah and the Ninevites is negligible. Right? Neither of them really loved God with all their heart, soul, mind, and body. Because the second that Jonah was challenged to do something outside his comfort zone, he ran. Right? They're both living for their own pleasure. Jonah was comfortable. He was real comfortable around people that looked like him, people that worshipped like him. That was, he was comfortable. And the second that he was asked to do something out of his comfort zone, he ran. One of them is just a little more socially acceptable to your peers, right? I'm a Hebrew and I worship God. And that makes me look pretty good in front of the people that I want to look good in front of. So I'm better than people that don't. So unless we see ourselves in God's eyes as no better than the worst of men, we will not be justified in God's eyes. And the thing, the thing that's hard is we live in a self-love culture. Like the message in every Disney movie, every movie made now is you are enough be proud of who you are. Be confident in yourself. That is not the gospel message. That's the anti-gospel message. The gospel message is you are spiritually dead. You are spiritually worthless. And all you need is to realize and admit that you are and that you need a king to rule your life. The gospel message is you're a spiritual failure And when you do accept Jesus, when you do call for a king, you receive grace. But you have to see yourself as a spiritual failure. And that is really hard for us to do, right? Reminds me of the the passage in Matthew uh, 21. Um, I'm sorry, Matthew 15. No, Luke 18. It's in my notes here somewhere. Um, The Pharisee and the tax collector, right? Now, think about it. Um, I noticed recently that we all want God to see us as the tax collector, saying, I'm a sinner. But we want each other to see us as the Pharisee. Like, I've got it together. I'm doing all the right things, right? Um, But here's the thing. In God's eyes, the difference between them was negligible. Right? And one of them went away justified. Also, the other, the other passage that it reminds me of is Matthew 21, which is where I was heading next. Um, you have to see yourself as a failure because in Matthew 21, the chief priests and the elders, they were questioning Jesus' authority. And Jesus tells them a parable about a, a man who had two sons and he told them both to go work in the vineyard one did, one didn't. It says, which of them did the right thing? They answered correctly. And in verse 31 of Matthew 21, he says, this is, his, this is his conclusion. Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. What? How can this be? How can, more, how can the morally and spiritually depraved 
enter into heaven ahead of the priests and the elders. How can that be? It's because they keenly realized their unworthiness and they readily accepted the gospel. They weren't self-righteous. They recognized they had no righteousness of their own. Even the Ninevites knew that their ways were evil and wicked. And the second that somebody said, hey, you're going to be destroyed, they were like, oh, we know what that is. That's our evil and violent ways. They didn't have to be told. They believed the Pharisees, I'm sorry, the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed when the leaders didn't. So, may we humbly see ourselves the way God sees us. And the way Paul saw himself. Um, Mitch read this, 1 Timothy 1. Got to read it again. Listen to how Paul saw himself. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy in me. What reason? He realized he was the worst. He realized Christ Jesus, because of that, can display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul was who he was before God because he realized how utterly sinful he truly was. He realized he was no different than the Ninevites, no different than the tax collectors. And that is what gives you grace. That's how you receive God's grace. Okay, I think I'm ready for a conclusion. So, history or myth? Like, some people say, well, you know, the book of Jonah is just like a, it's a myth, it's like a a parable back then, right? I don't know. Matthew 12, Jesus talks about Jonah and Solomon in the same breath, right? So Jonah certainly thought, I'm sorry, Jesus certainly thought Jonah was historical uh, record. In Acts 10 and 11, uh, Tommy pointed out this morning that uh, when Jesus said, it's not what goes in your body, but what comes out that defiles you. And, and in doing that, he removed all of the laws about clean and unclean foods, right? And then therefore removed the distinction between the Gentiles and the Israelites. Do you know where Peter was when he had that realization? Joppa. The very place where Jonah should have realized it too. Jonah was there waiting for a ship to run away from the Ninevites when what he, what he should have realized was that God shows mercy on whom he shows mercy. So what do you think Jonah did? It's kind of a cliffhanger of an ending to the story, right? So did jo- what did Jonah do? I-, I think we know. We know because we're reading chapter 4, right? Somebody had to go back and tell that part of the story. It was just Jonah and God outside the city arguing. Who- Jonah had to go tell on himself for us to have this record. 
And Jonah had to tell on himself, and if he told on himself, that means he really humbled himself. He humbled himself and he said, look how foolish I was to think I was better than anybody. So I think that, I think that gives hope. I, I'm calling it right now. I think Jonah repented. I think he humbled himself. Uh, don't hold me to that though. Okay, so anytime I think of the book of Jonah, I want to end with this poem by Ethel M.C. Brazelton. And I came across this. It was in the back of one of the kids' devotional, daily devotional reading things. Um, and ever since I read this, I just can't help but think about Jonah. And as we go through this, there are three characters in this poem, um, which is written, by the way, in um, kind of, it's written so that you pronounce words the right way. You know what I mean? So I'm going to try and pronounce the words. And it's actually not the poor black sheep. It's the poor little brack sheep is the way that uh, Ethel wanted it to be read. So I'm reading it the way she wants. But I want you to listen. There are three characters. There's the shepherd. There's the hireling or the hireling. And there's the lost sheep. And I want you to think which one is Jonah. I mean, yeah, which one is Jonah in this, in this poem? The poor little brack sheep that strayed away, done lost in the wind and the rain. And the shepherd, he say, oh, hireling, go find my sheep again. And the hireling frowns, oh, shepherd, that sheep am brack and bad. But the shepherd, he smiled like the little brack sheep. Is the onlyest lamb he had. The onlyest lamb he had. And he say, Oh, hireling, hasten, for the wind and the rain am cold. And that little brack sheep am lonesome out there so far from the fold. And the hireling frowned, Oh, shepherd, that sheep am old and gray. But the shepherd, he smiled like the little brack sheep, was fair as the break of day. As fair as the break of day. And he say, Oh, hireling, hasten, lo, here is the ninety and nine. But there, away from, off from the sheepfold, is that little brack sheep of mine. And the hireling frowned, oh, shepherd, the, the rest of the sheep am here. But the shepherd, he smiled like the little brack sheep. He hold it most as dear. He hold it most as dear. And the shepherd go out. The shepherd, the shepherd went out in the darkness where the night was cold and bleak and the little brack sheep he find it and he lay it against his cheek and the hireling frowns and says oh shepherd don't bring that sheep to me but the shepherd he smiles and he holds it close the little brack sheep was me the little brack sheep was me which one was Jonah in that? I think he was two characters. I think he was the hireling and the sheep. And I think when we read Jonah, if we read it and we go, boy, boy Jonah was, a, was an idiot. Like, how could you be so foolish? We need to remember that we're thinking we're better than him. And that's not the message of Jonah. The message of Jonah is... That lost sheep is me. Shepherds say that sheep are so ignorant that even when you find them and try to bring them back home, they still won't follow you. 
they're that foolish. And that's why when you see a picture of a shepherd, they always have the sheep around their shoulders, carrying the sheep back to the fold. God is here waiting. He sent his hireling out. He sent his shepherd. And he wants to put you on his shoulders and bring you back to the fold. And if that means, however you're running from God, whatever you're doing to make yourself feel better than everybody else, put that away. Break the cycle. And lower yourself and see that you deserve great. You, you need God's grace and you don't deserve it. If there's anything we can do, pray that you'll come forward as we stand and sing. In the desert of sorrow and sin, lo, I faint as I journey along with a warfare without and within. See my strength and my hope. you and we glorify you for preserving scripture for us to be able to 
meditate on and study to see your character and seeing the character of ourselves in Scripture. Thank you for the message that Brad brought tonight from Jonah. Pray that you would help us to always examine our lives, examine our motivations, examine our actions. Help us to see when we have pride in our lives. Help us to see when our motivation is self-righteous. Help us to see Jesus in His humility. Help us to realize how much we lack. Help us to live each day with the focus of the life that comes after this one. And with the focus that no matter how bad we are, You are chasing after us with your grace and mercy. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.